0: Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us
1: at centrum.org. Hello and welcome to Crosscut Talks, a podcast replay of Crosscut's live interviews with the people who shape our world. I'm Mark Baumgarten, the managing editor at Crosscut. The relationship between music and spirituality spans the globe. Indian ragas are an especially powerful and unique example of this tradition. Thousands of years ago, Hindus envisioned them as manifestations of the divine. While some songs are memorized, the style itself is largely a melodic framework for improvisation. As part of the Communiversity Arts and Lectures series, Cascade Public Media and Centrum, a Port Townsend-based arts organization, gathered musicians and scholars to discuss the history and theory of the music. And to play it. Srivani Jade is an award-winning Hindustani vocalist and musician with five solo albums. She's composed and performed on stage, for films, on the radio, and more in India and around the world. Ravi Joseph Albright is a professional tabla player and the executive director of Seattle Tabla Institute, a nonprofit that offers workshops, classes, and performances throughout the year. Wes Cecil is a professor of English and the Humanities at Peninsula College, as well as a playwright, novelist, and essayist. He moderated the discussion, and local musician Seekit Ray played the harmonium.
2: Uh, good evening, everybody. Sound good? Sound good? Is that clear? Everybody good? Thank you. Um, thank you, Rob and Centrum and the University community, community program for having us here. This is really a, a treat um, for me and I think for the musicians that you'll be meeting here this evening. Um, and it's particularly the right ethos, which is the University is bringing people together to learn and creating events where they can participate um, and, and, and for this event, specifically for me, because the, you could ask the question, well, why is uh, this guy up here doing this? And the answer is Ustad Ali Akbar Khan. And so many years ago, when I was an undergraduate at Fresno State, actually, I began my educational career as a music composition major, because it seemed to me that there's nothing better in the world than music. And through the magic of higher education, after doing that for about six or nine months, I discovered I was beginning to hate music. (laughs) In retrospect, I realized some of the uh, problems the program was having, and now I did not fit that well in it, and many other people were struggling as well, and so I ended up dropping out of the music program and decided I would pursue other interests. Um, But about a year later, and I never understood why, someone said, hey, there's this concert of Indian classical music you might want to go and listen to, it. and it's free, and it's right over like across the quad from where I was standing on campus. And at this point, you have to remember, there's no internet, there's you know no Pandora or anything like this, so if it wasn't on popular radio, and if it wasn't at your local record store, essentially you didn't have access to it. And so I had never, you know, you heard a little Ravi Shankar and the Beatles records, or but that's just a tone, that's not the the music itself and so I don't know why but I said okay I'll go what you know why not so I go in a room tiny room maybe smaller than this stage and there's Ustad Ali Akbar Khan who's you know just unbelievably great musician and I sat down I had no idea what to expect and, and he welcomed us very graciously and, and said thank you very much for coming which I will repeat to you thank you very much for coming and helping me repay my debt to him because for the next hour or hour and 15 minutes, I don't think I breathed. I don't think I took a breath. I was just suspended in this glowing ball of light that he created. I don't really even remember the music. I just remember this total suspension in sound. And when he stopped, I remember leaning forward and going, <gasps> like that. I was just like, cause I think I must have been holding my breath because I just remember this deep inhalation and it was like a bubble had popped a bubble actually popped in my mind. And I was like, that's right. Music is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and so, uh, it was a, what, a, what a gift to give. And this turns out exactly what he was doing. He was touring and had created a school in the United States to spread the gift that is North Indian classical music. And there's a lot of music in the world, and there's a lot of musical traditions in the world, but there is absolutely nothing like this tradition and there's some details on it in your program, but just to give you some idea, its foundation goes back to the Vedic text at least, which is 3,500 years ago. Um, And those texts are meant to be transmitted orally, and they are. The Vedic chanting and recitations are the oldest continuous living oral tradition in the world. They're still today as they were 3,500 years ago. Student, teacher, student, teacher, student, teacher, teacher, right, for 3,500 years. And we think oral and we think speaking like what I'm doing, but it's not that. It's chanting, hymns, intonation, invocations, and song. The the tradition is a tradition of music and dance. And so for thousands of years, this oral tradition that is chanting uh, and the invocation and the hymn develops. Often associated with the temple, often associated with religious festivals. Obviously, a deep spiritual foundation in the ancient Hindu texts. Um, And I mean, it just forever. It just goes on and on. And then we start getting texts that talk about the music itself around 1200 BC. So, so I mean, AD. So we're talking, you know, 800 years ago. They begin writing down the unbelievable depths of sophistication that had already developed 800 years ago. So that tradition has been going on, recorded, developed, for thousands of years. And then this interesting inflection, not that the musical historians argue about the influence, but it's an important inflection moment, is when you have the invasion, the Mughal invasion of northern India. And this brings sort of the traditions of Persia, Afghanistan, uh, Mongolian music, some Arabic music influences into, is about the 16th century, into that tradition, which has already been going for thousands of years. Uh, and it just adds a little flavor, a little inflection, and it moves the music from being primarily, although not exclusively, temple music and, and spiritual music. It introduces a court element. And so it develops a, a greater sense of performance um, and some other subtle elements that, that grow out of being in a court environment rather than in a, a temple environment or other sort of religious-oriented performances. And so that, again, develops for several hundred years until we arrive where we are today, which is this continuous, amazing musical tradition that traces back for 3,500 years. And so obviously we can't cover all or any of that, right? So the very limited amount that we can go over tonight. But what I wanted to do is introduce uh, the players and the instruments and give you just a little bit of a background and let you hear and sing a little. We're gonna do a little singing and clap a little to get a little of the rhythm. Um, And then we're gonna do a short sort of micro chunk of a raga uh, just so you can hear that and then a a longer piece to end the evening so you can just really experience the, the entirety of it. So it's gonna be a little journey uh, through the music, which is also a journey through time because the tablas go back thousands of years, the rhythmic elements, uh, the tambora, the harmonium is the new kid on the block. We'll talk about that. So um, what we wanna start with is the tambora. And uh, Srivani, if you would come out, Srivani? This is Srivani. And she'll be playing the tambura and singing for us tonight. And the important thing, so one thing that makes Indian classical music very different is the use of, essentially, this is a drone. Um, And there is almost no harmonic development in Indian classical music. So if you think of American or Western classical music, It's chords and keys developing across time. This is not how Indian classical music works per se. Much of the harmonics are carried by this amazing instrument which is very different. And what it does is it creates sort of an oral vessel that contains everything else that you hear. But in practice it sort of disappears but it's always there, it's like this invisible force that keeps everything sort of in a space. It creates this environment where the music can happen. So uh, Srivani, can you describe the strings, how it's tuned?
3: Sure, let's do that while I tune.
2: It's four strings, by the way.
3: So, this is typically a four stringed instrument, although some of, some of my older colleagues do have a five stringed version of it. But this is basically the fundamental tonic. We have a movable sa in our system. So, this is the upper sa. These two strings are cut from the same gauge, the same wire, in fact. So if we replace one, we replace the twin. They have the exact same timbre. And this first string is usually the perfect fifth. But the melodies we're going to sing this evening don't have the pa or the fifth. They have the perfect fourth. That's the string, the first one. And this lower sa. uh, This is the fundamental tonic to which we're all tuned on this stage.
2: And then as she plucks them over and over again, they start setting up the harmonic environment, and then you also begin to hear the subharmonics, so notes that aren't actually being plucked become audible, briefly, as the strings move in and out of sympathy with each other. And so more notes than she plucks are actually felt. I don't know if you hear them, but you feel them when you listen.
3: Also, this bridge that you see, that was traditionally made from ivory, and now from another material, Um, It's the most sensitive part of the whole Tanpura. This tumba is an actual pumpkin gourd that's been grown specifically to grow up to be a musical instrument. So as a nearly 10-year-old, I got to go out to the pumpkin patch of the local Tanpura maker and pick out the pumpkin that I wanted. And it's grown inside a box, so it grows to have this shape. Um, And with this kind of base so that you can play it with its base on the ground and playing the strings to your ears as well. And this section where you see the decoration coming through is where the wooden stem, the hollow wooden stem, is connected to the Pumpkin gourd, And this is the gross tuning, the four pegs that you have, not unlike a guitar or any other stringed instrument. And these small little knobs here are the fine tuning. So for example, I'm going to take this one out of tune. So this is a little flat. The perfect fourth is now a little flat. I can push it further. Can you hear that go sharper? And now it's still out of tune because it's sharper. So that is the fine tuning aspect of the instrument.
2: Then the strings, you've got the little buzz strings.
3: So talking of buzz, this is called the jiv or the life. It's a simple cotton thread that makes a huge difference to the soundscape that emerges from this instrument. Let me show you on the last, the brass string. This is how it sounds without... Did you hear that point? Let me do that again. That point where it starts talking to the other strings and harmonizes. So. Each musician has a particular preference of how much of that circle of sound they want and what is that kind of sound envelope that is a personal choice.
2: So that is the tambour. Are you happy with the tuning?
3: Not yet. Not yet, okay. <laughs> but I'll work on you it. You tune and week. I'll
2: bring out Ravi. So <laughs> the second, next element is the rhythm it's Ravi. Now I'll, I, I'll I'll come over here. The uh, um, the interesting thing about the rhythmic elements of Indian classical music is n- we have nothing like this whatsoever. So you know we're used to four four three four maybe some two four. Um, the, 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 Dave Brubeck made a sensation when he made an album in well, a song in five four time like Take Time right? He did experimented a little bit. Indian classical music in the you know a thousand years ago was playing you know 33:128 time you know just these these crazy crazy to us crazy rhythmic uh, complexities that we have even a hard time hearing or counting um, and so that's one of the things we want to talk a little bit about how they developed and what happened and 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 how to hear them a little better and we're going to do a little clapping so get ready you're going to have to clap we'll do a little clapping along here um, and it's called the tall, which is sort of the, the rhythmic element. But a couple of things to keep in mind is they're tuned. So you want to tune? Can you hammer that a little bit there? So if you want us to tune. It's already in tune to a hard... large <laughs> Yeah, so. so but they, they hammer, it's always amazing to me because they whack their drums with these hammers, uh, which sort of is disturbing. It's like, hey, they're hitting their instrument with a hammer, you know? Uh, but the other element is that often the tempo. So a lot of our music is, you know, 86, 92, 100, 120, even very high, fast tempo. 20 beats per minute, 12 beats per minute, right? So the tempo is really much, much slower than we're used to hearing in even very slow pieces of music. Um, and so, right, let's hear, let's hear a little bit of this here. Give an
4: example of how slow 12
2: beats per minute would be.
4: Would be something like this. And then we would, uh, we would wait for a while, <laughs> and then the next one comes like that. And so we have a lot of 12-beat rhythmic cycles, so it'll take an entire first, an entire minute to get through one cycle. That's the thir- fourth beat, sorry, fourth. Anyway, I won't go on too long with that, but (laughs) just to show how
2: slow the tempo is. And the the small drum is actually the tabla, so that's the it's 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 a tuned drum, a closed a closed uh, you know
4: instrument a closed drum, and so this one is made of copper and nickel plating, also closed. And so, can I show them some of the strokes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. show them the strokes. So, so, we also, it's an oral tradition, as he was saying before. So, we have different names for each stroke, like, Ta. And Tin. Tun. Titta. Dere, dhera. Similarly, over here on the left drum, we have ge And ka. We also have modulation of each of these strokes. So, ge, ge, Ghe, Ghe and gig gi, 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 gi. We also make combinations of these strokes, like dhaganadhi. Dhaganadhi, and so on and on. We, we build each of these patterns so we make these poems with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so um so why don't we do just a little clapping for them, just yes, a real yes. simple, simple rhythm. So show them the basics. So we will be playing
4: in a, a short piece in a, in, a, in a little bit here. And that uh, tala is known as adha, or also known as teen tal. That's a lot of information. But, and it's, uh, we, we demonstrate that through, through hand gestures, clapping, tali, hand clapping. And so we have one clap, second clap, then a wave, and a chop. So it's four hand gestures, clap, wave, and chop, like that. And so I'll demonstrate the tala that I'll play within this. Ta, din, five, nine, 13. one, nine,
2: Excellent. Thank you. Anything else you want to add? Oh, the base to do, do the bass, the, yeah. the big drum. That's the technical yeah. term. Yes. <laughs>
4: so similarly, similarly to the way that Srivani-ji just showed you with that string in the um, on the jawari, as she described, that gives it that buzz. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a little lipped here. It's a raised portion. We have a string inside this as well, and it lifts up what we call the Kinara, the outer edge of the drum, which allows it to fluctuate similar to what they do for their strings, to giving it more resonance. And you can see that lip right there, and that allows it to ring better in, in a similar way anyway. And uh, let's see, I mean the bass drum really only has two tones, this one and this one, but we make a lot of fun with that. So we can make like if I was to say these bowls, it's It's kinda
2: nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ravi. Thanks very much. And now Siket, Sikhet, come on out here. And thank you so much, by the way. On the harmonium, Sikhet is on the harmonium and and, um, he volunteered to come out at the last minute and we appreciate that so much. And I should mention the harmonium is wrong in every way. Everything about Indian classical music is not the harmonium. It's a late introduction, 19th century. um, And it's so controversial, or was so controversial, that in the 1930s, um, it was banned on Indian radio. You could not use the harmonium because they felt like it was such a violation of the principles of Indian classical music. However, it's so popular that they basically had to relent. But it took them 30 years. It was in like 1970 where they said, okay, you can actually use the harmonium. But in practice and in live performances, no one ever stopped because it's just people love the sound of this instrument. And um, it just adds something different because as I mentioned, the origins of Indian classical music is entirely in the voice. And the voice has an infinite range of possible tones. But a harmonium is tuned, it's a Western-based instrument on the 12-tone scale. It, in theory, can't do that. But, ah, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they, they cheat a little bit, right? And they're able to do things that you can't do, um, generally speaking. So here we go. So let's, let's get, play a few notes there for us. So how, how is that making noise? Huh? So how is that working? Yeah. There? So this is
5: basically what is called a reed organ or something like that. So we, uh, we, this is called the bellow. and when we pump it, air goes in. So and that air kind of, kind of flowing through from that side and through this, we can also actually open it if you. If sure. Let's so open it. Mental, uh, because of the microphone. Yeah. So you know there is a it's a so box basically you can basically. see there is a cannot, reed i'm bank not sure I can here. show but the reeds are here so the air is flowing through there are some holes which we can control how much air is coming in and they're essentially going through this what is called reeds this is a metal vibrating pieces and that creates the sound and uh, we can uh, we basically open one of the reeds by pressing the key and that's the one that is playing essentially so uh, we play with one hand uh, originally, this used to be, the uh, bellow used to be at the at the foot. Uh, that's how Europeans brought the instrument in India. But the Indian musicians started, uh, you know, th- this particular form was actually created in India. Um, and because it it uh, works well with the one-handed uh, way of playing, so the left hand started doing the bellows. So it becomes much smaller. Uh, the problem, as the West was saying, um, Indian uh, music, even though it is, has 12 notes, the, the position of the node is not constant. When you go from one rock to other, it changes. So, one good example is what we are doing Malkosh today. So, I think Shivaji can demonstrate the notes much better than me. But essentially, the ga, so, so this ga is actually very sh- much sharper than the other um, note. But if you do the similar thing, something called, let's say, Shivranjani, it says, So this ga, which is third note, both are called Komal ga, it's much, more, much uh, less sharp. And we cannot get that in uh, harmony, of course. So that was the main thing that people say it doesn't fit. And also, we cannot, of course, do the mid that is going from gliding uh, notes. So we kind of uh, uh, we kind of imitate that by pressing the previous note and then doing it. It kind of gives the feeling, but not quite. Not quite. Yeah. Uh, but on the good side is it's very easy to play. Um, I'm not a professional harmonium player. I never practiced. It's not even my instrument. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but I can play. So it's yeah. very easy for uh, if you have a little bit of training. So they were uh, much easier as an accompaniment, and it doesn't. Uh, It's much, uh, for the vocalist, it's much easier to have as a uh, support, and we can easily change, so that's why it became very, very
2: popular. Yeah, thank you, thank you, there we go, the harmonium. Oh, and play the second stop out. So there's multiple stops in a harmonium, actually. So if we pull out the... So so then you can change the...
5: uh, Yeah, right there, yeah, yeah. So So now you are basically playing Uh, multiple notes. So when I press one, this key, the two keys are getting pressed at the same time, essentially, it's just a uh, technique people sometimes use to make the sound
2: bigger. Yeah. So there's different uh, settings that you can use to create different tonal. Uh, it's, it's, it's the, the same to...
5: tone, but it, it's like as if you're pressing two together at the yeah. same time, because we don't
3: two have octaves. the left hand. Engaging so two the same octaves, thing at, the same octaves
2: at the same
5: time. Right? Yeah, so it just uh, sounds more fuller. Okay, but it's the excellent. same uh, harmonics or anything. Or whatever.
2: OK, thank you very much. Now, so, that is some of the elements, of course, very briefly introduced. But, a couple of more important things. One is, in Indian classical music has something that I don't, it's more or less unique, as far as I know. And this is an all up At the beginning of, of a raga, there's a section where, usually the lead uh, singer or uh, instrumentalist, Rod sitarist. Shunai player will, um, it's a searching out really. It's a development of the themes that are going to be played within the context of the moment. So all of you here make part of the experience. It is not a, a music that comes to the world to be performed to a static audience. It's a music that is developed in the moment. It's improvisational within a harmonic structure and within a guideline, but a lot of that includes the audience and the people and the time and the feeling and the emotion. And so it actually has structurally inside of it this period of time to feel that out, to develop that. And so some people will say, oh, you know, you, you, are they tuning or are they playing? And it turns out that often they blend, they'll tune, Place and then pretty soon you realize oh the music started right that's and it's to us it sounds like this Western ears like oh well what's you know what's going on have they started have they not started and it's this moment that is given over to become the moment for everybody to share the music the place the time the singular event so that no performance they don't know they really don't know what's going to happen um, because it, it, there's time for that to develop is built into the structure of the music itself, which I think is wonderful uh, and, and, and fairly unique. Um, and so the last element this evening, that will be, there are many other instruments, by the way, I should mention the sarod, the sitar, which you may be familiar, Ustad Ali Akbar Khan is a suratist, uh, Ravi Shankar plays a sitar, um, the shanai, which is like a double reed, sort of vaguely oboe-ish instrument, um, rubravina is a hugely ancient instrument, uh, um, there, and, and more, right? So there's, a, there's lots of instruments, but generally it's built around a soloist, and the root of everything is the voice. And so the voice that we hear tonight is a voice that goes back for 3,500 years. So um, can we have the, have, can we have the soars there, the little scale? Ragas are built around a scale-ish.
3: So we'll take a simple scale that you will sing with me. Help me sing. Help me get started. It's called rag Mal And it's a pentatonic scale. There's much more to a Raga than a scale. But a scale is a good starting point.
6: It goes like this. Saga.
3: A demonstration of all the things that we just discussed the harmonium cannot do <laughs> but he did approximate to a fine degree and play along so let's sing together one note after my one note easy
6: Ga. sa.
3: So pattern of two, three, four, five these are the building blocks of getting your muscle memory down to the particular scale so that when you want to create music improvise which is about 95 percent of a performance only five percent is prefixed in terms of the composition so we have these things at our disposal so you can sing which is the same pattern as what we sang now yeah, so, you've just had your beginner lesson
2: in the con So now, we're gonna, we, being they, uh, are, are going to uh, play a short piece for us. And then we'll, we'll take questions. So after that, we'll take questions. And then we're gonna do a much longer piece, much fuller. And this piece will actually have a scale and the tall that you just heard. So listen for those, uh, and open your mind. And, and here we go.
3: Thank you. I'm wondering if I might have you sing one line of the melody with me, since you're all such good singers. Everyone was in key, was in tune. Sasanida,
6: <laughs> sa sa ma one more time sa sa ni dha ni dha ma sa ni dha ma sa sa sa
3: in your heart because we listen with the heart and see how that single line as a theme is developed in a genre called Tarana which is a sub-genre that's come to us heavily influenced by the Persian Taranum, Tarana, form. It's filled with phrases that in today's spoken language might mean nothing, gibberish. But each phrase in it is an invitation of some sort for the Divine to come into you as you sing. So in Sufi music, some of you may know the Divine and devotee. Union is mirrored in a man-woman union. So it's the same. It's wanting to be inhabited by the divine. That form is called Tarana. And we're going to sing a Tarana that is at least, as far as I know, 200 years old. Probably old. get a little more of this Tanpura, please.
6: da Mama, ma ga ma da da Mama, ma ga ma da ah
1: We'll be back with more from the performance in a minute, but first, a message from our sponsor, Alaska Airlines. Alaska flies to over 115 destinations worldwide, with an average of 1,200 daily flights across the United States, Mexico, Canada, and Costa Rica. Every Alaska flight has high-speed Wi-Fi, free chat, free movies, a rotating seasonal menu, and the highest-rated customer experience of any North American airline. Alaska also tops the charts in environmental sustainability, having been ranked the most fuel-efficient U.S. airline for seven years running. It's the highest-rated U.S. airline on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, and it helps passengers offset the carbon impact of every trip they take. Learn more and book your next trip at alaskaair.com.
2: How about that? There we go. Uh, so, quick questions. Anybody have quick questions there? Anybody? About, about this? I can't see out there. Oh, here we go. Actually, I'll just come around here. This will be easier. I'll go out. I'll come out. No, that's fine. that would be fine. I was curious if the harmonium was chasing the melody, or, you know, in other words, he seemed to be moving a lot as she would go up. So, was he chasing? Yeah. I'm just trying to
5: follow...
2: He's doing his best. <laughs> She's really good. <laughs> so Somebody else? Somebody, oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. That's fine.
1: I just wanted to know, are you completely following her? Or is she giving clues to you? Yes. Or do you just watch? She's the boss. OK.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, we follow her. She tells me through her composition what the rhythmic cycle is and what speed it's supposed to be played at. Okay. And then she indicates. Basically everything. When she sings the fast portions, it's a we, a good accompanist is supposed to know how to play softer and only show the where the, the sections that will be called hip hogs, where the beginning of one, five, nine, and thirteen, the indicator marks are. And so I do know that on my own, but she tells me when to speed up and so on. Well, everything basically.
3: So I'd there, like to augment oh. that response a little bit from the vocalist standpoint. What these, what the accompanists do, it's an incredible art form unto itself. I cannot imagine the way that they're managing my vision and my direction and what repertoire they know and to play sensitively. That's something you build rapport over time. And also their own experience working with many, many uh, vocalists and instrumentalists. Um, I do expect that when I switch into threes, or when I switch into fives, or when I switch tempo, that they be able to follow me right away. So there is, yes, I am giving cues, but not for more than two, three seconds.
1: Thank you. Other one oh, over here? Oh, sorry, yeah. Okay. Hi. Um, are you the vocalist singing um, just syllables or words or a combination?
3: In this particular piece, the Tarana, um, these are syllabic phrases. They're not in any spoken language, um, but they're symbolic. Tana derana as a whole is neither Persian, nor Urdu, nor, Hindu, nor Hindi, nor any language we speak, but it means come, in, come into me. Um, so a Tarana in particular is made of these kinds of bowls. Or syllables—they're as symbolic as his bowls, the ones he recited. But otherwise, I do sing in uh, two older dialects of Hindi, um, 17th-century dialects called Braj Bhasha and Abdi A lot of what the classical poetry is written in.
2: There's a question over here. Oh, yeah. Here and then now. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you, you started out by pointing out the part that was the composition before you went off to your uh, improvisation. Is a composition uh, mostly created at the time of the performance by the performers, or is there like a catalog with famous composers and you can go back hundreds of years and
0: pull stuff out, or how does that work?
3: Yeah, this particular composition is 150 to 200 years old. Um, We have recordings of my guru and his guru singing this composition. It's also to be found in books, some version of this. Compositions are... We have a combination of ancient compositions, uh, contemporary, and we also create compositions all the time. Um, Sometimes I do create the composition on stage, either because I've forgotten the second half (laughs) or when I'm reading a book of poetry we do compose but because we want that to be the blueprint of the performance that is not improvised we lay it out we that's how we transmit music the oral tradition depends on having four line compositions that describe how the rag moves but everything else is improvised and everything uh, every variation that you heard when I laid out the first line was all creative variations made on the spot. I would not be able to repeat the exact same lines for you now, five minutes later.
2: Thank you. Let's do this one and that one.
0: And then.
1: So when you're improvising, it's based on the scale and such, but is, is it also based on little cell pieces of the composition, or are you pretty free to improvise?
7: at will? How does does that work?
3: That's a good question. Am I free to improvise at will? Yes, within the boundaries of the raga and the composition. And if I were using words, then I would be mindful of not butchering the poetry as well. And also in the build-up of the variations, I would build into the complexity. If the line says, that tom is a great place to improvise because it's a single note. So this is true of every improvisation Technique in Indian music. It's true for instrumentalists. It's true for tabla players that play peshkar or improvisational style where you pick one portion to improvise with and keep the rest constant It's important to know what you're improvising on if you change everything about the theme. Where's the theme? Right you improvise with the first half keep the second constant then keep this constant very that Thank you. does that answer so we're guided by the structure of the composition for sure
2: okay what one, one more question here one more question here is it on yes
3: um when i played in
6: a curtain group
3: we played with the tambour standing up and i wonder what the difference is between the two methods of holding it largely it's a personal Preference. Let me paraphrase, so I make sure I understand. Is there any difference between playing the tanpura, uh, sitting down like this in my lap versus vertically standing up? I think I hear a bit a little bit better when it's vertical. Also, when we practice for hours on end, to have it vertical and rest, the elbow on the tumba is a comfortable thing to do. But it does interfere with the mic. The vocal mic picks up too much of the tanpura when we have it standing up.
2: All right, so now they're going to, what's the, what's the piece? You have about 30 minutes, by the way. 30 minutes. So so what piece do you want to do? <laughs> See, she's deciding now. They're amazing.
3: <laughs> Can I have my water?
7: Yes.
2: And I want to say, um, two more things and we'll leave it to the beautiful music. Now we'll play a much fuller piece. Um, The word guru, teacher, is based on the Sanskrit word gri, which means to intone, invoke, or speak. So even the concept of guru goes all the way back to speaking. And it is, again, this oral tradition that is passed down person to person to person. There is no A school, if you study with a school, it means that it's a person that you're with and that's the kind of music they play. And so this goes all the way back. And finally, and most importantly, forget everything I've said and just for the moment suspend everything they've said because you don't wanna understand. It's not music for understanding. It's music for feeling and experiencing. So just throw all that out. Don't worry about anything. Open your heart, and everything good will happen. So that is really the key. Just forget and love. Thank you.
3: Can I get a little more of the Banffora, please? the voice. Thank you. So we will present three movements of a rag gorak kalyan via two compositions. One in a very slow tempo. You've been warned <laughs> of about twelve beats per minute. There will be a small invocation of the rag without rhythm before that called the alap. And then I will lay out the composition in Iktal, cycle of 12 beats, very slow. Build that up to a kind of a medium tempo place, you'll know. And then take up another short composition in Tintal. The theme, if you like to kind of play along with the color, we call the ras, the the mood of the composition. Talks about the homecoming of a beloved. That today is a blessed day, my beloved is home. And here's how we're celebrating. Because in that person's absence, I had become Jogan. Jogan is a person who has a recluse, a person who's given up everything in life. So, these stark contrast between the two compositions. Rag Gorak <clears throat>
6: Mare mare Oh, i
0: Thank you for listening to this Centrum Podcast. The creator and host of Communiversity is Robert Berman, Centrum's Executive Director. Centrum Podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our Executive Producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Squalum people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include Music from the Centrum Archives, Interviews with Teaching Artists, and Readings from the Port Townsend Writers Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020 Centrum Foundation.